Clint is right. Um, it's about my fifth year here. I met my wife here. Yeah, that's enough reason to be She's here. wonderful. <laughs> If it wasn't her beauty that was enough to pull me in, she's a wonderful woman of the Lord. Um, and there's nothing more beautiful in this life than um, prophetically showing the bride and bridegroom revelation with uh, a man and woman in this life. So I'm blessed by her every day of my life. She's my best friend and I'm just so honored to you know, get to be her husband. So I love you, honey. You just got about 50 points. Amen. <laughs> well, and, it, and here's the fun thing. That wasn't hard for me to say. Um, we won't go into this too much. But as much as that was really easy for me to say, and it was just natural, I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to, that's not on my notes. <laughs> I didn't have to think about that. That's the way Jesus feels about us. By like a billion. Because his love is perfect. And mine's just, you know, frail and human. But um, anyways, as Clint said, I started out here when I was uh, about 21. Um, and really, uh, what brought me here was a desire for truth. I um, was always pretty smart, got good grades, was a good athlete, um, you know, had a lot of what the world was, had at my fingertips a lot what the world had to offer. But for whatever reason, when I went to bed at night, I felt pretty empty. And I didn't know what my purpose was. I read a book by Donald Miller. I think it's called Blue Like Jazz. I read a few of them. I can't remember which exactly it is. But he quotes in that book, he said, um, nobody came to me and asked me for my permission to come to this earth. Nobody said in heaven, or if you don't believe in heaven, wherever you believe we came from, you know, I believe in the Bible and we all believe here that Jesus is the source of our creation. But without even believing in Jesus, nobody gave me the choice of whether or not I wanted to exist. I just woke up one day and I said, what's going on? <laughs> you know, it seems like a stupid question, but it, for me it was very real and it was very provoking. And so I wanted reality. I wanted truth. And so one day in college, this guy named Drew, who lives in this house, is Paul's son-in-law, brought me into his apartment complex in Concordia, and he washed my feet, literally. And he just prayed for me and poured out the love of Jesus into my heart. And from there, I just felt something real awaken in my life. And then I was brought here a couple months later, and uh, here I am right now. So tonight, I just want to encourage you that that question, if you're where I was five years ago today, um, that's great because we have the truth. We have the meaning of life here today. Amen. And I say that with 100% confidence. I go to bed at night so secure and peaceful that my soul is locked up in the gates of heaven for all of eternity. And no matter what happens to me from this day forward, I will rest in the arms of Jesus and just covered in love and just blanketed. So tonight our desire is to open that up. That's just, you just rub your hands together and you just, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it says in Proverbs 24, 13, drink the honeycomb for it, it tastes good. The honey of Jesus. Come on, The honeycomb of Jesus. You just drink and sip on that honeycomb and it just flows out of your mouth. Come on, come on, Jesus. So exactly, we are going to unlock, we are going to unlock the meaning of your life tonight. And I am 100% confident that that's real. I don't say that passively, I say that realistically. So um, if you want, we can just start in 2 Corinthians 10.3. And uh, this is going to be the foundation of this series. It's, um, right, like Clint said, it's based on the knowledge of the holy. That book changed my life. Um, as I got to know more about God and then I realized who I was in God, you know, I was just changed forever. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 uh, through verse 5. And Paul is writing to Corinth here, and he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now there's a lot in that. Um, I've read that, you know, so many times, probably the first hundred times I read it, I was like, okay, cool, Paul. Whatever. <laughs> but um, the part I want to highlight is the towards the end of it where it says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And so there's a fight. That tells me that there's a war. There's a real war out there for truth. And so not only is there a, a giver of truth, it says in you know, John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. There's a real adversary to our hearts. There's a real fight for your soul. Um, and the fight and the foundation of that fight is the knowledge of God. And so the knowledge of God is the front lines of our warfare and the foundation of our experience in this life. And for all of eternity. When you get to heaven, there's not going to be one ounce of evangelism, not one speck of preaching or teaching or saving the lost. You are going to be fascinated by God for billions and billions of years. I'm dead serious. What else are you going to be doing in heaven besides seeking and gazing upon the beauty in the throne of Jesus? That's it. So, not that there's not a place for evangelism and ministry in this life. Of course not. That's, we wouldn't be in this room if that wasn't the case. But, that flows out of this reality. That the knowledge of God is the foundation of our warfare. Jesus says to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. Right after Peter declares who Jesus is. He says, for you are the one and only one true God. You are the Son of God. You are not a prophet. You are not, you know, whatever. You are not Elijah. You are not any of these other things. You are Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, son of Bar-Jonah, for man did not reveal this to you. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but, you know, you receive this through revelation. So, um, we see that this truth has been just absolutely onslaughted by the enemy, that Jesus Christ is God. And we see that even in the physical, you know, practical, tangible stats of our experience, that 4% of our generation, ages 18 to 30, identify with the church. Mm. And even within the church itself, there is yet an enormous gap between 
you know, real truth and real wisdom and revelation from of the, in the knowledge of God. I could probably go to a dozen churches and find, you know, and I'm not sitting here bashing the, the church. I'm just simply awakening the reality that we have fallen vastly far from the real truth and the knowledge of God. And so, um, A.W. Tozer writes in his book, page one of Knowledge of the Holy, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's a crazy, very, very heavy thought. This is the most important thing about your life. And not only, in more so than what you say to others about God, more so than what you can even stand in this pulpit and preach about, when you are at home on your bed at night, wrestling with God, what you think about Him in the deep secrets of your heart are the most important thing about you. Because I can preach, I can teach, I can say that God is faithful, but all of a sudden when I lose my job and you know my friends disown me because I love the Lord, do I really believe that God is faithful? Because if I don't, then it's not because God isn't faithful. It's because my faith is absent of real truth. So this is what we're trying to awaken here tonight. We're going to really awaken and really self-reflect on what we believe about God. And then we're going to come home with some truth. So um, last thing before we really move into uh, you know, what the call into this hour is, is um, just this provoking thought and why the weapons and why the, fu- the foundation of our reality is the warfare of the knowledge of God. Um, think about it this way. If you are the adversary of God, so if you are Satan, take Satan's position for just a brief moment here. If you are the adversary of God and you are dealing with an all-powerful, uncreated, self-sustaining being, and then on top of that, he is an all-forgiving God that in the moment you crucify his one and only son, in that very moment, before he breathes his last breath, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So here you are, all powerful, uncreated, you can do whatever you want to do, God. And you're all merciful that in the moment of your unjust, brutal, beyond recognition crucifixion, you offer up intercession for the very ones who do that to you. And say, Father, forgive them. If you're the adversary to that kind of God, what do you do to oppose the very ones he joins his heart to? What is your very one and only option? Lies. Lies. Tell them that God is nothing like he says he is. That God is a taskmaster. He hates you. You're an accident. You're imperfect. You're a mistake. You go down the list. That is your one attempt to destroy the bride of Christ. That's it. That's it. The father of lies. That's why he's the father of lies. Because that's his only option. So he's been doing this through all eternity. His one, his segue into sin was Genesis 3, 4 through 5. So if you want to turn there, we can read the first lie that caused the fall of humanity. And then it only took place from there. It only went further from there. So here's Eve and Adam. They're basking in the just glory of Jesus, the glory of God, walking around without shame in the garden, just filled without any hindrance to the Father. 
just there they are, just in full communion. And this is where we're going back to. So here is this beautiful historic. This is historic. If you want to read a history story, whew, come Holy Spirit. This is just one of the be- most beautiful pictures in all the history. Wow. Here they are. So here comes the serpent, slithers his way into the presence of Eve, just the most beloved of Jesus. And he says, surely you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, he's talking about the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For truly when you eat of it, your eyes will be, like, will be open and you will be like God. So here is Satan sowing a lie into the bride of Christ saying that God is withholding good things from your life. That God's sovereignty, authority, and um, just oversight of your life, his shepherding and sh- um, shepherding of your life is you know, ultimately in fear. Because if God is withholding things from Adam and Eve, he is saying, if I give this to them, they will be more powerful than I want them to be. They will be something other than I can handle. Does that make sense? Does that truth resonate with us? Does that logic make sense? So here's Eve is buying into the lie that God is not all powerful. That's the first lie. Two, that God is not a good shepherd and he's doesn't have an adequate ability to govern the life of Eve. Three, that he is withholding good things from Eve. So three major lies are sown into this one, you know, one verse right here. And then he's saying, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So you, so God is withholding knowledge from Eve by saying, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, as we learn about God, we realize that none of that is true. That God is a safe shepherd. He is full of the pleasures evermore. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. And in his presence there is the fullness of joy. And God is perfectly good at what he does and he needs nobody and he's not afraid of anybody. So this, is the fi- this was the beginning of the fall of man, was the breakdown of the knowledge of God. So that is why Paul says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we do not fight in the flesh. So we don't take up our, you know, put on my gloves here and go and beat up my neighbor because he, you know, says something to offend my heart or doesn't have the right or my personal conviction on, you know, speaking in tongues. That's not what we do as the body of Christ. We tear down strongholds and we say, come Holy Spirit, let your truth be made known. So that is, that is what we do in attempt to oppose wrong views of God. So as we see, this has been Satan's agenda from the beginning of all humanity, and he will continue to do this and break down our right opinions of God and what the Bible actually says about Jesus. And we learn that those lies are strong. Satan is good at that. So that's not to, you know, put Satan at this high and lofty position, but it is to understand that he's good at what he does, and he'll get his, he'll get his licks in. So we have to understand that, but then trust and believe that God, you know, is the giver of all truth. And, you know, he says that it's possible. Um, so this is really why we're doing this series, because it's, it's very foundational and it's very influential. And A.W. Tozer goes on to say that if all the problems of heaven and earth, though they were to confront us all together and at once, would be nothing compared with the overwhelming problem of God, that he is what he is like, 
and what we as mortal beings must do about him. So that's again what he says in the first two pages of his book. So he out he creates this outline and he says, and after creating an outline, he just goes on and just declares the everlasting, unexhaustible characteristics of Jesus. He's unexhaustible. Isn't that great? Come on. He'll never get bored with God. Oh, come on. Ooh. Yes. He'll never get bored with God. I think if we looked forward to in the beginning God as much as we looked forward to the next Harry Potter video. People lining up outside the doors. People just, ooh, I've never watched one, but you see it in the news. Just They make billions of dollars. You put out a Harry Potter movie and you're set for life. You read in the beginning was God. God will blow your mind. Just blow your mind. So anyways, the call in this hour is to know God. Somebody tell me about God. That is the cry in your spirit. Whether you recognize it or not, that is the cry in your heart. Somebody tell me about God. I want to know Him. I want a taste of Him. The Bible says to taste and see that God is good. That's possible. That is a possibility that we can taste of the the never-ending riches of Jesus. Somebody tell me about God. Psalm 130 verse 1 says, Oh, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. If we just sat and meditated on that for like one hour. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Just birth in your spirit a deep cry for God. Mm-hmm. What he can do with that deep inner man. The deep inner man cry of your, of your, of your spirit. Mm-hmm. And it says that God has placed eternity into our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that also Solomon writes this, the wisest man in all of the earth. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. So the purpose of this series is twofold. One, to awaken a generation to the urgency of our need to know God. To sound an alarm on my holy mountain. When they sounded alarm in the book of it, in, in the ancient days of Israel, they would just get on that mountain, blow a shofar, and just here it comes. Have you ever heard a shofar blow? They're loud. It's just a ram's horn. They just stand up there, and the deep bellows of their soul just—it's sweet. So we're sounding an alarm on the holy mountain of Zion today. Come Holy Spirit, wake me up, God. It says in Ephesians 1.17 that, oh, that the Father of glory, He's the Father, the harbinger of glory, just Father of it. He births glory. In His DNA is glory. My, my dad is the Father of me, Father of humanity. My Jesus is the Father of glory. That the Father of glory would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. In the knowledge of Him. So we're going to sound that alarm on His holy mountain this week. To wake us up, God. It says in Psalm 13, Wake me up lest I sleep the sleep of death. So God, wake us up. Pour out Your Spirit of wisdom and revelation, Father. That we would see and taste and feel and experience the truths of Jesus. So that's the first, you know, point of this series. The second point is to, once we wake us up, we're going to birth that hunger. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So we're going to satisfy your spirit with this series. We're going to give you this, the answers and the, the manna that's going to feed your deep inner man. That's going to put you in peace. The, peace. the peace of God is just so precious. We were meant to be peaceful. Yes, thank you. That's just so glorious that 
God didn't create us to be anxious, to wonder, you know, what I'm going to do when I get home for food, to wonder what I'm going to do for a wife. You know, there are some of us in here that we wonder if we're worthy of marriage. And God wants to answer that with just the satisfaction of your righteous hunger and just satisfy you and give you peace that passes understanding that people can ask you, why are you so peaceful? Mm. And you won't really have a real, whatever, you know, intellectual understanding of that. It'll pass your understanding. It'll be like, because I have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm peaceful. That I got the guarantee of the Holy Spirit as a down payment of the glory of my resurrected body. So anyways, the, the journey to knowing God is for that purpose alone. We sometimes think that the journey to knowing God is for the sake of ministry or for the sake of um, fame or for the sake of recognition. But that is not what Paul says in Philippians 3. In Philippians 3 it says, um, Paul says that, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So it's for the sake of Christ. It's a means in its in and of itself that knowing God is the fullness of our joy. It says in uh, Song of Songs 1-2 that your love is better than wine. Your love is finer than the earthly pleasures. Your love is better than my gift to heal people. Your love is better than my ability to you know, preach a really powerful anointed message that when I go home at night and just open up my hands and say, come and get me, God. That's good enough. Come and get me, Jesus. That is the means in and of itself that the journey to knowing God is for that very purpose, that whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of a man come down from heaven born in a manger, wrapped in garments, you know, born with just, you know, the true humility of a carpenter. That that is the beauty in this life, that I would know this man. So, and, um, you know, we can go on. There's, we'll be handing out this, uh, you know, update. In, this up, in the update, this will be included. So there's a lot of scriptures that support uh, that Ephesians 3. And we won't go into all of them tonight just for the sake of time. But I'm essentially, essentially the, the knowledge of God is all about love. The greatest of these is love, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, that of what do we do with what we do with love, the man is the most important thing about our lives. And that love is not an emotion, it's not a sentiment. My love for Adriana is not a feeling. I don't wake up at night and feel really, really warm and fuzzy, you know, because I go to sleep, you know, and share the same house with Adriana. That is not love. Love is a commitment to her that no matter what she does, she says, she feels, she thinks, I just go low and serve her. That is marriage. Marriage is all about dying to self, that I die daily. Every day I wake up and I put her above myself. And I just say, you know, I love you until death, till death do us part. Marriage vows are so powerful. If you ever sit in a marriage ceremony... And listen to the reality of those vows. And you don't just take them as a reality bachelorette show that this is really cool. God forgive us. If you watch the bachelorette, sorry, but 
<laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Love is not an emotion. We'll just stay on that page. It's not an emotion. It's a commitment. It's a man bleeding on a cross with eyes like fire and the voice like rushing waters, wearing a white robe dipped in blood, whose name is faithful and true and whose name is the word of God. And this man holds the keys of death and Hades. What do we do with this man who's all-powerful but strips himself naked, puts himself on a cross, and says, I love you? What do you do with that man? We didn't have a chance. We did not have a chance when Jesus said, I am, I am yours and you are mine. What do you do with that kind of love? We did not have one chance of getting away from that. Not two jet, jet engines strapped to the hands of Jesus could have pulled him off that cross that day. He saw you in his future. He saw the plans and the purpose he had for your life in Jeremiah 29, 11. And he says, ooh, that one, she is mine. I claim her. I own her. This one, she is mine. So what we do with this man is the story of our lives. That, will, that is what we will give account, account for on our, on our, you know, on our day of judgment. It's not going to be, if it's, and, and let me qualify this, if it's your ministry, you will give account for that. So if your ministry is evangelism, you certainly will give account for that. But more so than that, it says in the book of, it says in the gospels that God, we casted out demons. We spoke, you know, in your name, we prayed, we delivered, we healed. In your name, we did the good works of your kingdom. Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. So what we do with love is the story of our lives. This is it. What you do with this man who stripped himself and put him on a cross for you is the story of our life. So um, it's important that we think rightly about God. Because we can go through this life, and I'll give a personal example. Even in our desire to know him rightly, if we still have a wrong mindset of who God is, it will change everything for the worse. So I will tell this story and then we'll, you know, further develop this point. Um, but this was just recently too. This was probably back in June, so like two months ago. And I told Clint about this one day. The Holy Spirit came to me um, before I went to sleep one night and he asked me um, if I can shake things in your life. A really just horrible question to be asked by God. Just horrible. Because what are you going to say? No. What do you do with that question? No, sorry, God, i got better things to do. And two, when you say yes, you're screwed. You're in trouble. Because there's something wrong, but he's such a gentleman that he asks your permission. He doesn't just impose and barge in and say, I'm eating with you tonight. You know, he doesn't do that. But he's a gentleman, and so he asked me this question, and I was like, well, of course. Come on, come and get me God. Right? So, oddly enough, I closed my eyes, and I saw this picture of, you know, I don't know if any of you are an electrician. I'm not. I'm a psychology major. But I saw this picture of, like, new wires being laid in my brain. New, just neurotransmitters and synopses and all that stuff being laid, and I fell asleep peacefully, and went to bed and anyways that night I had this awful dream just horrible just shook my pick just shook this image this reality that I had about God that wasn't real the reality was that um, God 
makes bad things, God imposes bad things in our lives. So an example we can use is God threw the earthquake of Haiti upon Haiti because of their disobedience. So God punished them because they rebelled against God. And so that was the reality that I was walking in. And it changed my entire, like, and what it messed up was my um, ability to love others as I love myself. Because if someone was going through a hard time, let's say someone, you know, lost a job, because that's happened a lot, I'd be like, well, suits you right. You disobey God, that's what you get. But that's what I really believed. And the Holy Spirit said, this does not work. This isn't how I operate. And this is going to impose on your ability to walk in humility, to walk in gentleness, to relate to people, to love others, to just say, you know, I'm here for you. You know, God didn't do this to you. God didn't kill your dad. God didn't, whatever it may be, fill in the blank. God didn't do that to you because you're a bad child. He didn't punish you for that. But I was walking in that sort of a mindset. But So because my image of God was thwarted, my ability to walk in meekness and humility and gentleness and compassion was messed up. So anyways, um, so right, the reason I say that is, um, you know, because um, in order for us to think rightly about God, we have to, you know, ask him for, we have to give him permission to, to do that in our lives. And so we as a church, even as a church, need to allow the knowledge of God to take real root into our hearts. And so, um, and we'll wrap this up here pretty quickly. Um, A.W. Tozer goes on to say in his book that the man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. For he sees at once that these have to do with matters which are at most. So in the very most, um, at, at most cannot concern him very long. But even in the multiple burdens of time may be lifted from, even if the multiple burdens of time may be lifted from him, the one mighty single burden of eternity begins to press down upon him with a weight more crushing than all the woes of the world piled upon one another. So essentially what's he, what he's saying in summary there is that um, when we come into a right perspective about God, we are all of a sudden set free of 10,000 temporal problems, 10,000 anxieties and cares of this life. The Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but instead pray about everything. Pray about everything. So what does that tell you about the power of prayer? That the power of prayer has, your, has the ability to overcome whatever anxiety you are facing. And anxieties are powerful. That is, And I don't say that to sub, subliminate and eliminate the reality of your anxiety. Because I was depressed. I was lonely. I didn't have a very good background. I didn't have all these things. But the power of Jesus entirely overcame those problems. <sighs> the power of Jesus set Mary Magdalene free of seven demons of prostitution. I tell you the day we see a generation set free of seven demons in one instant. Ooh, talk about revival. So... The man who comes into a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. And that's just an understatement so our minds can grasp around it. There's no measure to what God's Spirit can do in our lives. 
However, what is often true is that we do need to get to a place of brokenness in order for that right place of God in our minds to take place. In order for God's truth to come forward, he needs to first uproot the wrong beliefs we have in our lives. He needs to take those wrong deceptions and say, I, we need to get rid of this garbage so I can put my truths into your heart. I need to get rid of the reality that you think I discipline people for their disobedience and say, no, bad things happen to people because Satan hates them, not because I punish them. So in order for me to understand that that's the way God operates, I need to first cast away the reality that that's not the case. So um, anyways, Jesus says, Jesus declares his character to us. He says, come to me in Matthew 11. He says, come to me all who are heavy laden, all, who have, who all, all whose burdens are heavy. Come to me and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that so great? Isn't that just so awesome? That Jesus, as much of a powerful God he is, is so kind. So kind. And this is so adverse to our flesh. Because it's more easy for us to think of Jesus and punish us. That's so easy for us to think about. And God wants to answer your prayer, by the way. Moses says in Exodus 33, Please show me your glory. What a bold prayer. The Father of glory, please show me your glory. And what does God do? Does he say, no, I don't have time for you? How dare you ask me such a ridiculous question? Do you know who I am? <laughs> Didn't I already tell you I am the I am? Just do what I say. He says, oh. He says, no, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. He shook the entire mountain of Israel. And the Israelites, Moses, you speak to us. Let's God speak to us and we die. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God. The first three things he said was his name. The Lord, the Lord, a God. He just said, I am God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children in the third and in the fourth generation? <sighs> so great. Just shakes the entire mountain, shakes them to the core and says, this is who I am. So we just ask you, God, just to reveal this deep into our hearts. It says in Jeremiah 6.16, Thus says the Lord, stand by the, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Should we get back to this ancient path of saying, God, please show me your glory. He is going to give us the rest for our souls. So God, we ask you, birth in us a deep cry that we would come to you, God. And out of the depths of our soul, God, we would cry, oh Lord, please show me your glory. So God, we come to you with 10,000 temporal problems tonight. Our problems are real. They're not fragile. In the reality and in the relationship of your love, yes, they're fragile, God. But in the midst of us going through those problems, God, they're very real. They're very powerful. They're very oppressive. There are people with us who struggle with depression. We struggle. These are real thoughts. We struggle with addictions, God. 
We struggle with wrong views of you, that we are not loved, that we are made by an accident. Our theology, our inner theology opposes Psalm 139 that says, For the Lord created you fearfully and wonderfully made. So God, we come to you with 10,000 temporal problems today, God. And we ask you for a right opinion of who you are. We ask you, Holy Spirit, reveal to us the God of Exodus 34. Pour it out, God. We just ask you, come Holy Spirit. And give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. We want, we want to touch, you want to taste, we want to experience God for real. We sing the song, How Great Is Our God, How Great Is the God of Our Spirits. Come Holy Spirit. Stay in this place to receive, and I want to read um, you all saying so good about the knowledge of God. And hums as our paradigm shifts from servants to friends. And I um, just want to read this, and then... And then we're going to go on and spend some time in verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And then he says, You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not what is, know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And this is the transition that's taking place in our life, where we go from being oriented towards tasks. That's what servants do. Towards relationship. Do you know that Jesus was a servant of all, but he served from a place of friendship with the Father. He served from a place of knowing the things of the Father's heart. Psalm 24 says that the secrets of the Lord are with those who fear him. And he wants to be a friend. And And here's the problem. We don't seek friendship for what it can do for us personally. It would be weird if you knew someone famous and they came over to your house and you called all your neighbors and they and you had them come over to get autographs and so that you could be more popular, that friend would stop coming over. And we don't want to use Jesus as the means to which we promote ourselves or we build our name. We want to be friends with him because that's what the knowledge of God is all about. It's about God taking his secrets. It's taking those things that he doesn't have to make known to us and saying, I found one who wants to know me. And guess what? If you ask, you receive. If you Mm -hmm. seek, you find. And I want to tell you in my life, I had numerous, numerous addictions that were destroyed by a right understanding of how, who God is and the knowledge of God is, Mm -hmm. It, it's first of all who he is, second of all who he says I am, Amen. and also how I view everyone and everything around me. And it all flows out of ultimately who God is because he's the creator, so I need to find out why he created, why he redeemed. I mean, one of the great declarations of Paul's life is he goes, you know, I'm crucified with Christ, I no longer live. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. Paul knew the reason why God did what he did. Mm-hmm. And and he said, you know what? God's used me in a lot of great ways. I mean, the Apostle Paul walked in tremendous power. He saw a lot of miracles, signs, and wonders. And at the end of the day, he goes, it's all rubbish next to just knowing Jesus. That is the excellence. That That is the entire purpose of your life is to know him and to be known. To be known to make ourselves vulnerable, and you'll never approach someone and make yourself vulnerable and open your heart if you believe they're condemning you. Mm-hmm. 
won't, if you were to go to the courthouse and you thought the judge was for surely going to convict you of a life sentence, you're not going to come in there happy. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? What's, you're not going to come in there excited. You're not going to come in there expecting to receive good things. And so the paradigm is shifting that because of the work of Christ, the nature of propitiation, he bore the wrath of the father so that now I can come to the father and receive what Jesus deserves, (laughs) which is unlimited favor, which is always. And that doesn't mean I get, he's going to answer the prayers of my flesh, but it means when I come and truly have been transformed and now I begin to desire what he desires, he wants to give it to me. And so that paradigm, like Paul's saying, he's laying the foundations, even the, the hard wiring of our minds to come back into agreement with the truth that God wants friends. John, when John the Baptist was confronted by the religious leaders of his day, and then we're going to go into ministry because I don't want to keep preaching, but he says this, he goes, they go, who are you? Are you the Christ? He goes, no, I'm not the Christ. They go, who are you? Are you, you know, what's your deal, man? He go, are you a prophet? He goes, no, I'm not even a prophet. And Jesus actually said he was the greatest prophet, but he goes, here's, here's who I am. I'm a friend of the bridegroom. He goes, at the end of the day, I want to be a voice of the bridegroom. I want, I want his people to know that he is a jealous lover, that he laid down his life in love, and that he's redeemed you for love, and that you're going to live in love with him. That's the whole purpose of the story. That's the whole point. And, when, and, and I'm not talking, when you read in the New Testament the word know, the knowledge of God, to know him, the problem is we think knowing is going to school, learning facts with void of experience. That's not what knowledge in the scriptures, the Hebraic mindset of knowledge, it is in and of itself an experience. If you don't know something, if you haven't experienced it in biblical terms, that that isn't knowledge. Knowledge is something that comes from encounter with truth. And so we've, we've been told to settle for this shallow theology that says, we, this is who we say God is, but even though none of my emotions agree with that or have ever experienced that, I'm just going to keep saying it. And live seeking the things of the world, hoping maybe I'll find a little bit of joy in life. And God's going, no, 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 I have so much more for you. Enter into the fullness. Enter into friendship with me. Say no to the friendship with the world that sets you at enmity with him, James 4. And do that. So we're going to, I'm going to put on some worship. And we're going to, I just want to encourage you to to break up in small groups. If you want to just soak, I really believe God's going to encounter you tonight. Have an expectation that when you ask of the Father, he gives good gifts. Amen. And I want to tell you, this is the journey of your life. It's not going to happen tonight. You're not going to gain the knowledge of God. Paul says in, in Romans 11, how unsearchable are his riches and past finding out. He goes, I've tasted a little bit and I'm the more I learn about him, the more I know is available. And so you're meant to be fascinated by that. And that is the perfect will of God for every one of your lives. It's to know him intimately. That's right. And it's available. We've we've been told that at times God's not really, um, I can't really know him in that way. Mm-hmm. That I have to wait to heaven to experience him, and that's not true. So don't settle for merely intellectual understanding. Right. So, <clears throat> last thing I'll say about that is, it is a fight. That's right. The enemy does not give this ground easily. So don't be discouraged if it takes hard, just dedication. Yep. Comes this didn't come in one 20 minute prayer right and if and if 20 years of lies have brought you into bondage one, I mean, God can do it in yeah. a second but stick with it one 30 minute message yeah. is not too likely 
to uproot 20 years of deceit and lies should you be where I was five years ago. And, um, but I'm a walking testimony that God is greater than the lies. That's right. So fight for it. It's one of the most encouraging scriptures I've ever read is in Genesis where Jacob wrestles with God. God loves to wrestle. He just loves to throw down. He loves it. He loves children. How many dads, Paul, you're one of them, there aren't too many dads in here, love to wrestle with their kids? It's true. You just love it, and you always let them win. You always let them win. You're not going to embarrass your kids. So he's going to let you win. He's going to give you what you ask for. But don't quit asking him, ever. Don't quit. And the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Fight him. Fight it. Go for it. Your heart is worth it. And God is great. He's faithful. Amen. So let's break up into groups. And if you, I, I, Paul and I were talking earlier, we really felt like God wants to destroy depression tonight. No. And that's a real battle. I just want to tell you that there's joy unspeakable and full of glory that's Amen. available. It's the joy of knowing our salvation. And it, here's what the Bible says, John 8, 32. It's a life verse for me. It says that Jesus speaking to the, the Jewish leaders and then his disciples, he says, if you abide in my word, if you continue in it, then you're my disciples. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. It's all that the battle for freedom is truth. Lies bring bondage. Truth brings freedom. And so, Father, I just ask for a release. God, even right now, the knowledge of God in our spirits. Father, we just ask. We just ask heaven right now in faith, believing, God, that you desire to release the knowledge of God. Lord, release the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, lies we believed about your character, your nature, your plans for our lives. God, I ask for truth to penetrate our hearts tonight. Let us have an experience with the burning fire. God, the love in your heart that consumes you, that zeal that led you to lay down your life for us, God, and the plan and the destiny we have in you. God, I thank you for this word tonight by Paul, Lord, just what it awakened in our hearts, Lord. Help us to now feed that this week as we leave from here, God. Even after this ministry time, help us not to jump right back into life as usual where we just dull ourselves to sleep with all the, all the issues of life, God, help us to let that seed of your word go deep. That's right. For the glory of Jesus, that his name might be magnified in us, that we might make known the, the wonderful riches of Christ. So yes. we thank you, Lord, for this tonight, and we just ask for this ministry time in Groups Jesus' name. Groups of two name. or three. Groups of two or three, guys with guys, girls with girls, there will be food back there afterwards. There's an offering if you want it. We'll have music on. Also, if you're new and you have questions about Communitas, oh, sign-up sheets are on the back wall for all the different ways to help. If if you're new and you have questions about Communitas, Allie, Paul, Paul, Andy, Tom, Katie, Kat, we'd all love to answer questions you have. I'm going to go upstairs in about 10 minutes. And if you want to come up and ask questions or just get to know you, if you're new, we want to connect with you and uh, just answer any questions. Yeah. If you have questions on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you want that tonight. God did it last week graciously. He touched many people that were new to that and they had questions and God just encountered them. Praise the Lord. That That is the power of God to be a witness is you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So, any of those things, uh, otherwise break up with a couple people around you and, and let's just keep enjoying the Lord. Conversations, we'll try to keep them back there and we'll let this room be prayer. So Amen. bless you guys. Have a bless good night. You. Thanks, Paul. Hallelujah. Yeah.